0: Times of refreshing. And how many would agree it's been hot outside? No? Has it been hot? How many thank God for the air conditioner? Amen. We are thanking God for the air conditioner. Now as we go to the Word of God this morning, I want you to open your heart because I believe the Spirit of the Lord wants to say something to you uh, that can be life transformative. If you have a notebook, I want you to take notes be attentive to the Word of God as we go to the Word of God and listen to what the Spirit of the Lord would say to us this morning. Times of refreshing. This is part three of the sermon series that we've been on for the past couple of weeks, and we're going to finish it next Sunday. So you don't want to miss next Sunday as we uh, study what it means to be refreshed. Now, if this is your first time hearing this sermon, I encourage you to go to the, the website, listen to the sermon, so you can be caught up. It's impossible for me to go back and try to rehearse and review everything that we have studied and learned the last two weeks. So it would take up too much time, and so um, people are here and there and on vacation and back and forth, and so you just have to go there and listen to that so we can all be on the same page. But this is part three of Times of Refreshing, and I will finish next week, all right? Times of Refreshing. Lord, thank you. uh, Open our heart today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Next Last week, we dealt with the woman at the well, and that's in John chapter 4. How many remembers that sermon, John chapter 4? And these were the points from last week. Um, just very briefly, I said, uh, number one, uh, he went where he was least expected. Uh, we're talking about the woman at the well. Jesus comes to this woman at noonday, offers her, you know, she offers him a drink. They have a long conversation. And so in this story, you'll find that he went where he was least expected. Number two, you find in this story that sometimes being seen is painful, even if it's the very thing that we want. This woman shows up uh, at midday at noon to drink some water. Well, you don't do that. Women usually came early in the morning Or late at night and so she didn't want to be seen because of her lifestyle and so sometimes being seen is painful but that's what God wants to do in your life he wants to see those things that you've been hiding he wants to work on those things that you've been hiding from him number three you see that in the story that we become so eager to satisfy our physical desires she was more she was more concerned about physical water and uh, more than her spiritual needs And that's the same way in our generation. We become so eager to satisfy our physical desires that we overlook our spiritual thirst and our spiritual needs. And it becomes conflicted at times. Number four, we find in the story that the woman's question was about race and gender. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, she's a woman, he's a man. How can this be possible? And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do in this generation. Always throws up race and gender to hinder the time of refreshing. And so you see that as a principle. Number five, you see in the story that uh, Jesus said, let me see your wound first. Because the woman said, you know, let me see this. Let me have this water that you have. Sir, let me have this water. And Jesus never really answered her. He avoided the question and he went right to her wound. He said, how many husbands do you have? The woman said, sir, give me this water. And Jesus said, how many husbands do you have? Because in order for you to be refreshed, in order for you to be healed, in order for you to receive the time of refreshing, you've got to open up. And you've got to let the Lord heal the wounds of your life. And she certainly had a wound. She had five husbands, and the one she was with wasn't even her husband. She, she said, Sir, give me this water. And Jesus' reply was, How many husbands do you have? Where's your husband at? He wanted. He was concerned about the wound in her soul. Number six, We learned last week that uh, if you put your validation in the hands of people, you will constantly have to go back to them for validation. And that's what happened to this woman. She was constantly going back for validation with all these men that she was with. And if you put your validation and strength and security in people, in the hands of other people, you'll constantly have to go back for validation. And this woman really had an issue. And I think one of the last points that we learned last week was that she left her water pots. She had a transformational experience with the Lord, and the Bible says she left her water pots, and she went and told the whole city about a man who told her everything that she's ever done. And you've got to leave back the water pots. You've got to leave back the things that you rely upon to bring you thirst. Or excuse me, to bring you uh, water or whatever you whatever you run to in life that brings you fulfillment, sometimes you gotta leave it behind and you've got to go pursue after Christ with everything that you've got. And so as I was studying this scripture, uh, I was going to go on to another Bible story that deals with people being thirsty, but this story is so rich. The woman at the well is so rich that I'm going to preach on it again this morning and bring out some other points. So we're going to deal with the woman at the well again this morning, part two, the woman at the well, because I feel like I can't go on unless I tell you some stuff that I've learned this week in this story. Is that all right? Everybody say preach on pastor. So we're going to deal with the woman at the well again And we're going to look at some things that I think is very, very important. Now, if you go back to John 4, I want to read some of the story to you again. John chapter 4 and verse number 3. Look at the story. Pay very close attention to this story again as I do part 3 of the woman at the well. John chapter 4 verse 3. He left Judah, departed again to Galilee, and he needed to go through Samaria. Everybody shout Samaria. And he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat there by the well, and it was the sixth hour, which is about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, and Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given, it, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave this well and drank it from himself as well as the sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I give to him shall become like a water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come to draw water. And Jesus said, Call your husband. Verse 17, and the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, well, you've answered rightfully. You have no husband. As a matter of fact, you have five husbands. And the one that you are with is not even your husband. You have spoken truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped to this mountain. And the Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. So you see that she's avoiding the question here. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming that neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. You know what you worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. For God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am He. The Bible says, verse 28, the woman left her water pots, went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? So you see in this story, what I want to bring out is some powerful principles that I learned this week that I felt like it was justifiable for me to preach on this again because it's so powerful. And one of the very first things that I want you to see in this story, in order for you to be refreshed, in order for you to experience what God wants you to experience and be refreshed in your life. Because this is one thing that you have to see, is that there is the initial refreshment. The initial refreshment comes when you are born again. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you are initially refreshed, all right? You were dead and you come alive. You were blind and now you see. And after the initial refreshment, there is a continual refreshment that you should be refreshed with. And number three, there is the ultimate refreshment. And that's going to happen when you see Jesus. You're ultimately going to be refreshed. So number one, you initially are refreshed when you are born again. And then as you live your Christian life, there is a continual refreshment. And then at the end, when you see Jesus, you will be ultimately refreshed. And so we've got to deal with this time period that we're living in. We've already been initially refreshed. We're going to be ultimately refreshed at the end, but we've got to be refreshed right here. And so the question is, is how does that happen? And throughout the last couple of weeks, I've shared with you how that can happen. But this story demonstrates powerful principles. And number one from this story, I want you to see that number one, that uh, God is after you. There's a quest after you. God's quest is after you this morning. Now how do I know that? The Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse number 4, He needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. Everybody shout, He needed to go through Samaria. Now, He is a Jew. Everybody shout, He's a Jew. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. You don't associate with Samaritans. They were considered half-breeds, and there's a long story of why that happened. Because years and years ago, the Samaritans forsook the living God and married pagans, and so the Jews wrote them off, all right? And so Jews had no uh, dealings with a Samaritan. And so Jesus says in verse 4, he has to go through Samaria. In other words, Jesus is going through a city. Jesus is going through a country that he should have avoided. He should have not went through Samaria. He's a Jew. Jews don't go through Samaria. They don't associate with them. But Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria. This is a picture of salvation, folks. Jesus comes for the outcast. Jesus comes for the down and out. Jesus comes for those who are marginalized and out and social outcasts. He has a quest for us. You see, sometimes we think that we found God but ladies and gentlemen we didn't found God he found us he's after us He had to go through Samaria. Why? Because that's a picture of salvation. He is coming after us. And I am so glad that Jesus loved us even when we were unlovable. I'm glad He loved us when we were rebellious. I'm glad He loved us when we were alienated from God and we were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. He loved us anyway. It is not about you finding God. It is God coming after you. You've got to get that in your heart. You've got to get that in your mind. It's God coming after you. It's not what you can do for God. It's what God did for you. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 8, the apostle was very clear. He said, but God demonstrated His own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, His quest is after us. One of the things that can bring refreshment to your soul is to realize that you don't have to chase after Him. He chases after you. In your hopelessness, He's chasing you. In your despair, He's chasing you because some of us don't got the strength to run to Him. Some of us don't have the ability to run to Him. Some of us is at our bottom. We're we're depleted. We don't have the energy to run to Him. And that is why the Gospel is so important for us to realize He runs to us. He is the father in the prodigal story that with his arms open wide welcoming his children back. Is there anybody thankful that he runs towards us? Is there anybody thankful that he has to go through Samaria? The Bible says in John 15 verse 16 the scripture is clear that the Bible says You did not choose Me, for I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. He told His disciples, You didn't pick Me. I picked you. I chose you. I came after you. Oh, that makes me happy this morning. I said, that makes me happy this morning. That means if He picked me, if He picked me, if He chose me, if He ran after me, then I've got to agree with the writer of First John that if He came after me, then the devil himself can't pluck me out of the hand of the living God. Hallelujah! He chose you. He ran after you. That's the gospel. You don't run after Him. You say, well preacher, I remember in June the 4th, 1974 I come to the altar and I confess my sin and I got saved. Yes, but that was your response to him chasing you. That's just your response. He, he gave the check. All you did was endorse the back of the check. He wrote the check. The money's in the bank. All you had to do was to accept it by endorsing your name on the back of it. That's all. You don't You don't, he doesn't, you don't pick him, he picks you. He has to go through Samaria. Number one, this story teaches us as his quest for us. He goes through Samaria. Number two, the the story of the woman at the well. It is a story where God wants to share his life with us. Now stop here. This story, I read this, Pastor David. And I never saw this. But it's incredible. Jesus, who is the well of life, is sitting at a well, you know. But that's a whole different story. But Jesus, don't lose me, is at a well visiting with a woman. Now the woman, remember, should have went in the morning, should have went at night. You don't go and get water at the hottest time of the day, right? Right? So, here is Jesus at the well with a woman. And if you do a little bit of research, one of the reasons that a woman would go to a well is to find a husband. The Scripture is clear. That the patriarchs of the Old Testament, when they got married, the first place they went was a a well. They went to a well. For instance, Moses in Exodus chapter number two, Exodus chapter two, he marries a woman by the name of Zipporah. Moses, uh, Moses in Exodus chapter two, in verse number fourteen, I want you to see something that Moses demonstrates the story of Moses here. Moses meets his wife, Exodus 2, verse 14. Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Did you intend to kill us like you killed the Egyptians? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Verse 15, When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, dwelt in the land of Midian, and sat down by a Verse Now hold on here. Verse number 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water. Moses, in this chapter, gets married to one of the seven princes of Midian. It was common that at the well, you would go find a husband. Could it be that this woman who was at the well already had five husbands? She knew that she wasn't getting no validation from any of them. And she sure wasn't getting no validation for the one she was with. So she's like, I'm gonna try another one. <laughs> I'm gonna to go to the well this morning and I'm gonna get another husband. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so she comes, <laughs> she's back at the well. Moses meets his wife at the well. What about Genesis 29 verse 1? Genesis 29 verse 1. Jacob meets his wife, Rachel, at the well. Genesis 29 verse 1. So Jacob went to a journey to the land of the people of the east. The Bible says in verse number 9. Genesis 29 and verse number 9. Now, why are we still speaking with them? Rachel with her father and the sheep, and she was a shepherdess. Now, you've got to read the whole story here, because if you look at the whole story, it mentions that he comes, or she comes, because she's a shepherdess, and she's watering, her, she's watering her sheep that day at the well, and Jacob shows up at the same well that Rachel is watering her sheep. And they get married. Could it be that the well was a type where you found your spouse what what about and you've got to read the whole chapter there to see it, but what about um, what about um, um, verse look at verse number look at genesis twenty four genesis twenty four and you'll also see that uh, Jacob's, or excuse me, Isaac finds his bride at a well in Genesis chapter number 24, Genesis chapter number 24 and verse number 17. There was a servant trying to find Isaac, his wife. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 24, verse 17, and the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. Now, where do they get the water from? They get it from the well. They have a pitcher. Verse 18, So she said, Drink, my Lord. Then they quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. Where were they at? They were at a well. Jacob finds his wife at a well. Moses finds his wife at a well. Jacob, Isaac, Moses all finds their wife at a well. So what is the context of what's happening at the woman at the well? What is the context here? Well, the context is Jesus shows up at a well because it's common for a man to find his future bride at the well. But you find her in the morning or you find her late at night because women, single women, or married women would go as groups to get water early in the morning or late at night. This woman, because of her behavior, because she's a social outcast, comes at midday because she doesn't want anybody to see her. But Jesus understands that this He's going to be different. He's not going to be like all the other men in her life. So she He shows up. Now get this. He shows up at a time where there is no other men. Because Jesus wants to tell her, I am the only man that can really satisfy the longing of your heart. I'm not going to be in competition with anybody here. I'm going to come when there's no man around. Because I want you to listen to me. Because this story is a story of the bride of Christ, which is the church and Jesus. He wants to share his life with you. Who is the woman at the well? It is the church. The church. We are sinful. We jump from one thing to another thing. We jump from one person to another person. We're the ones that's always trying to find something to feel the internal longing of our heart. The woman represents the church. And Jesus longs to marry the church at the well. He longs. To share his life with us. It's not about a Sunday thing, folks. It's not about going to church on Sunday. It's about living this life, it's about having communion with God.
1: It's not about just coming to
0: church and listening to a sermon. It's about a divine intervention. It's about a transformation in your heart. He wants to share His life with you. Jesus showed up at the well because He wanted to share His life with this woman. He's trying to tell this woman, listen, it's interesting. She had five husbands. The one that she was with is not her husband. That's the sixth husband or sixth man. Jesus is the seventh man. Seven is the number of completion. And Jesus showed up and said, I'm going to complete you in a way that no other man could ever complete you. I'm going to complete you in a way that no other man can complete you. He wants to share his life with you. It's, this story is about a quest. God is running after us. It's about God wanting to share His life with us. It's about a moral demand. Not only does He want to share His life with us, but He demands something of us. This woman is like, tell me where you get this water from. Instantly, Jesus is like, go call your husband. Number three, it's about a moral demand. He puts a demand on our life. Where where is your husband at? If you want to follow me, you've got to let go of those people. You've got to let go of those water pots. It was a demand. And how many of us, when a demand is placed on our life to be faithful, a demand is placed on our life to be a Christian? I mean, God have mercy. Help us. God forbid that the pastor would put a little pressure on us to act like a Christian. Come to church, God forbid that we would have any pressure on us because we don't want to be uncomfortable at
1: all. Where's your husband at?
0: There's a demand. Because listen, in our society, when there's something wrong, there's a prescription made for the problem. But in Scripture, when there's a problem, there is no prescription. There's a responsibility. And anytime God wants to change something in your life, He doesn't give you a quick fix by writing you a prescription. He gives you a responsibility. And He says all throughout the New Testament, get up and take up your mat and walk. Stretch out your arm. That's a responsibility. All throughout the Scripture, when a miracle is performed, a responsibility was placed upon man. And if you ever going to get refreshed in life and get what God has for you, you've got to do your responsibility. There's a responsibility that's placed on you. And he places a responsibility on this woman and says, where's your husband's? Go call them. In other words, I want you to own up to what you've done. I want you to be aware. I want to deal with this. Before I give you the well, let's deal with the wound. There's a moral demand. You see that there's a, there's a missional thing here. This woman, after she has this experience with the Lord, number four, she becomes missional. She becomes changed. And isn't it interesting, the Bible says she went throughout the city telling all the men... She told all the what? She told all the what? Did she tell the women or did she tell the men? She told all the men. The Bible says in John chapter number 4 and verse 28. John 4:28 the Bible says she left her water pots. She went into the city and said to the men, "What what happened?" She went throughout the city and said, "You know what? I've had 6 husbands. And y'all didn't do me no good. But I found the seventh man. And he's going to be the only man. And I want to let you know that he has changed my life. And I'm leaving all these water pots. In other words, if you really got it, if you really got the change, you should be able to go back to the same crowd and witness to the same crowd. And not let the same crowd influence you. Did y'all hear me? If you really, if you really got what you said you got, you got the Holy Ghost. Oh yeah, I got it, I got it. And if you go back to the same crowd that you left and they influence you to go back to their group, you don't got it. Because this woman was so transformed, she went back to tell the same men she slept with, I ain't going back to you anymore, baby. I already found a man that can bring satisfaction like you have. That's why in a few weeks we have a come and see service. Because we want everybody to come and see what Jesus has done. She she became missional. Listen, if you're not missional, you're not a complete disciple. If you're not witnessing, if you're not asking people to come, if you're not making an intentional effort to witness to, to people on your job or your home, you're not a complete disciple. A complete disciple is head. Knowing God, heart, loving God, hands, serving God, feet, sharing God. Not just about knowing God. and You know, we have some awesome churches that really know God and teach the Bible. And we got some great Pentecostals who experience God with the heart. And some churches are very good with serving. But how many churches are really missional with their feet? It's head, heart, hands, and feet. This woman had a transformational experience that she went out and she started telling these men the experience that happened to her. You know what salvation is? It's one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That's what salvation is. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. We're all beggars this morning and some of our beggars this morning has found bread. So we need to leave the building and tell the other beggars where we can get the bread of life from. One beggar telling another beggar where to get bread from. Number five, you take on the nature of the thing that you worship. Number five, you take on the nature of the thing that you worship. You see, God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from you. God is not this egotistical God who is sitting on the throne and He's, he's please worship me. Please worship me. I'm so insecure. i got to take my nerve pills this morning to calm my nerves because I just desire on Sunday morning for everybody to worship me. That's the kind of God we've created. As if God is so nervous and God is so, and there's nothing wrong with medication if you got to take it. You understand what I'm saying. We've, we've developed a God who, who is so egotistical, a narcissist that he desires the worship of creation and, and if he doesn't get it, he's going to be mad and angry. That is not the God that we worship. We don't serve a God that is a taker. We serve a God who is a giver. And if you're experiencing somebody that's taken things from your life, it could be God's taking it to grow you, but He only takes things to grow you. He doesn't take things to destroy you. It's the enemy who takes things to kill, steal, and destroy. God is not egotistical this morning. He doesn't need anything from you. He wants something from you. He wants your heart. He wants your worship. And here is this man sitting at the well. The Bible says, Jesus says to the woman, Give me a drink. The woman was confused, Pastor David. How are you asking me, a woman, a Samaritan, a drink, when you're a Jew? And she said, don't you realize you don't even have nothing to draw from? The well is deep. But listen to Pastor Josh. Jesus said... Give me a drink. How is it that God in human flesh, the creator of the universe in human flesh, is sitting there on a hot Palestinian day, sweating with a woman with a water pot, and Jesus is asking a prostitute, asking a social outcast asking a woman who nobody wants to fellowship with because of her behavior, he is asking, a holy man is asking an unholy woman for water.
1: Because that is Christianity. You are
0: unholy. God is asking you for a drink. What do you mean, pastor? He's asking you for a drink. What can you give God? God already has everything. What can you give Him? He desires your worship because Jesus said in the same story that there's come in a time that you're going to worship me in spirit. The woman was like, but I thought we worship in Jerusalem. I thought we worship on this mountain. Worship is not about a place. It's not about a place. Jesus said, there's coming a time you're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. He is saying to the woman, give me a drink. He is saying to the woman, what I want from you is your worship. And you think worship is about a place. You think worship is about a song. You think worship is about a building. But worship has nothing to do with that. Worship is about your heart. And I want your heart. I want your heart. Give me a drink. Our Lord was dying on the cross. And he says, I thirst. In other words, he was saying, I I want a drink.
1: What can we give the Lord of the universe? How can I give
0: the Lord of the universe a drink? I am sinful. I'm like the woman. I have nothing to give.
1: I'm sinful. Christ
0: understood she was sinful. But there's one thing that God created all of us to do, and that was to worship. And whatever you worship, you become. And He is saying to the woman, give me a drink. He was saying, give me your worship. Because that's 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 the, that's the climax of the Bible. Jesus, after He fasted, or during His fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy came to Him and said, if you will worship Me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. You see, the problem with... This generation is somebody is after your worship. You're worshiping something. You're either worshiping the car you're driving, you're worshiping your spouse, you're worshiping your grandkids, you're worshiping your checkbook, you're running after them, and none of those things are bad in itself. But when you place more priority and more emphasis on something above God, you are worshiping it and you will become the very thing that you worship. There is a war for your worship. And in this woman's case, she was worshiping men. She was running after the validation of men. She was chasing after them. She was looking for something that would fill the internal longing of her heart. And Jesus is saying, you are worshiping the wrong thing. You become like the thing you are worshiping. How how do I know I become like the thing I worship? Because Jeremiah 2, verse 5. Are you all with me this morning? Jeremiah 2, verse 5. Look at this. Jeremiah 2, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, What injustices have your Father found in me? Now, if you read in a different translation, it sounds better. But this is New King James. In other words, God is saying, What have I done to you? that you have left me and you have followed idols and listen and you have become you have become like the idols you worship you become the thing you worship if you worship God you're going to become righteous if you worship God you're going to become a giver If you worship God, you're going to become loving. If you go after God, you're going to be holy. But if you worship material things, you're going to become greedy. You're going to become stoic. You're going to become cold. Because you're going to become the very thing that you run after. He says, what have I done to you that you would leave me? You have followed idols and you yourself has become idols. Because You become the very thing you worship. I was reading this story. you all with me? I was reading this story. I got it.
1: I got it. He says, John 4, he says, give me a drink. Is that what he said? Is that what
0: Jesus says? Verse 7, John 4, verse 7. John 4, verse 7. Give me a drink. And then Jesus makes this statement. Verse 13, He says, and it's odd, Jesus says, well, if you knew who you were talking to, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Look at verse 14. Then Jesus says, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become like a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. I got it, Joel. I got it. Here it is. Give me a drink. And then Jesus says, I'll give you a fountain springing up in everlasting life. Give me a drink. Give me what you can. Give me your limited supply. You're limited on your water. You've got to work for it. You've got to draw for it. Give me what you can. Give me your limited supply. And if you give me a drink, if you give me what you can, then Jesus says in verse 14, I am going to give you a fountain springing up to everlasting life. I am going to give you unlimited resources. Woo! Somebody help this preacher preach this morning. He says, give me what you can. Give me a drink. Give me a drink from the well. Give me what you can. And if you give me what you can, I will give you a fountain, not a cup. I'll give you a fountain, and it will spring up as living water. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You know what the Holy Spirit said? The Holy Spirit said, the woman, the woman said, Sir, You don't have anything to draw from. Jesus says, are y'all ready for this? I'm going to give you something you don't have to draw from. I'm going to give you a fountain that springs up. Woo! Did y'all just hear what I just said? In other words, you've been working, baby, too long. You've been working. You've been drawing water. You've been breaking the sweat. You are frustrated. You are in turmoil. You've been drawing this water in the heat of the day. But if you will give me what you got, I will give you something you don't got to work for. I will give you a fountain that springs up in
1: living water.
0: Some of you working too hard. Running after everything. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to... It ain't no wonder we ain't successful in life. We got too many irons in the fire. Running here, running there, doing this, doing that. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Run, baby. Work yourself to death. Run, baby. Do work, 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 work yourself to death, run after people, go get validated from people, go seek people's approval, because that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. You'll end up at the end of your life depleted, you'll end up at the end of your life wondering why my life was a waste. Because all you did all your life is draw water, drawing water, frustrated, not enough water. I gotta get a new car, gotta get a new house, gotta get a new spouse, gotta get a new this, gotta get a new that, always drawing water, always drawing water, always drawing water, always drawing water, always always frustrated, always frustrated, always frustrated. You think this water will fill you, you think this will fill you, you're always drawing water, and yet you are never
1: filled. Never filled.
0: I have a little bit of this. Have this. I run after this. Have more sex. This will fill me. Have more of this. This will fill me. More of this. Just go ahead and run. Go ahead and run. Go ahead and do it. Because you're falling right in the plan of the devil. Go ahead and keep pulling the water. Go ahead and keep drawing the water. As the devil is sitting by at noonday laughing, go ahead and break your sweat.
1: Jesus says, you don't have to draw
0: anymore. I got a fountain of living water. You see, there's a beautiful exchange. If you give me what you have, if you give me a drink, I'll give you a fountain. If you give me your limited resources, I'll give you unlimited resources. The prophet was right in Isaiah 61 verse 3. He saw this beautiful exchange. The prophet said in Isaiah 61 and verse number 3, The prophet shouted, and he says, he's going to give you beauty for your ashes. Give me what you have, and I'm going to give you something you can't work for. (laughs) I'm going to give you oil for joy for your... I'm going to give a garment of praise for your... That you might be called the trees of righteousness. In other words, you give me what you got. You give me a drink. You give me your limited resources. And I will give you something that's unlimited. See, the problem is, is that we're waiting to give God something that's of value.
1: When you just need to give Him what you got.
0: That's what the devil wants to tell you. Well, when you get your life straightened up, then come to the Lord. When you get these things right, then you can start.
1: No, no, no. You give Him a drink now. You give Him a drink
0: now. Little boy's lunch, give me your five loaves and your two fishes. Give me what you got and at the end, there was twelve baskets full overflowing. You give me what you got and I will give you an unlimited source. Lastly, Jesus didn't need anything from the woman. He wanted a drink. He wanted worship. He wanted what did He want? Worship. As I was reading the Bible this week, the Spirit spoke something to me. I was reading in Luke chapter 8. You don't, we don't have time to read it, but it's the story of the, the man that was demon-possessed. The Bible says that he lived in tombs, cut himself, and then Jesus came, cast the spirit out. First Jesus said, what's your name? The demon said, it's a legion. Jesus casts the demon out of the man. And then, Jesus commands those demonic spirits to go into pigs. Is that right? And what happened to the pigs? Pigs. They went over the what? Cliff. Now, then the Bible says this Luke 8 and verse 37. Luke 8, 37. He'll put it behind me. Look at this. After the pigs went down the the ramp or the the cliff, the whole multitude surrounded the Galileans, asked him to depart from there. They seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. They asked him to what? They asked Jesus to what? Help me out. They asked Jesus to what? So Jesus performs a miracle. This man's possessed. The demon is called Legion. He cast it out. The demons come out and go into their pigs. The pigs go off the cliff and the whole city, the region, they get mad at Jesus and ask Jesus to leave because their pigs are dead the Holy Spirit said to me, said, son, I wrote it down, people want pigs over my presence.
1: People want pigs over my
0: presence. And the stuff that y'all were chasing after and myself were chasing, it's it's pigs. All it is. It's garbage. It ain't going to fill your heart. Relationships ain't going to fill you. Somebody texting you back 400 times a day, that's, you're going to always have to go back to your well to get source. And if a person is your well, and you always have to go there to get validation, you're always going to have to go there. And if they leave your life, your life falls apart. You've got to be careful who you give access to, your strength to. Because Delilah will come and cut your hair. You've got to find your strength in something that's not found in physical things. It's good to have physical things. It's good to have... Really, all that's good and fine. But that's not where your validation and your strength and your purpose and your identity comes from. You've got to make a decision that I want His presence over pigs. 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 I presence over pigs. I'm going to say it again. I wish somebody would agree with me and stand to your face. I want His presence over a bunch of pigs! I want his presence. I want his presence over pigs. And the devil, the devil will lie to you and tell you that pigs Hold on, stand up. The pigs can bring you more profit.
1: Pigs can provide a great meal
0: for you. They're great bacon. The devil will come to you and say, pigs, you can make some money off of them if you've got a herd of them. The devil will come to you and say,
1: don't you get rid of those pigs because it's a great profit for you. The whole city got mad. This woman
0: is chasing after, and I'm not calling people pigs, but the issue, she was chasing after pigs. She was chasing after things that would not satisfy her. That's what I'm saying. She was chasing after things. And she finally realized,
1: Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink. If you knew
0: Jesus like you say, you know Jesus. If you really know Jesus like you say, you know
1: Jesus. you would be asking Jesus for a drink.
0: Why why are you running to wells? Why are you running to people to give you a drink of something that will never satisfy you? If you knew who Jesus was, you go ask Him for a drink. I'm convinced we really don't believe what we say we believe. I wrote a doctoral Thesis in Pentecostalism. It was approved by Evangel University. I did statistical research on the major denominations, Pentecostal denominations. And my whole thing is, is there's a disconnect between what we believe and what we say, what we, say we believe and what we actually practice. And it's God's honest truth. We don't really believe it. There, there's really not this sold out, I really, really, really believe it. There is mental assent. There's agreement.
1: But there is not submission.
0: People don't get mad if you agree with them. It's when they got to sub, they have to submit their mission under yours. That's when the issue gets a problem. And you're not really submitting unless there's an opposing force. God did not call you to agree with people. He called you to submit even when you don't like it. You all hearing what I'm saying?
1: Do we really believe if you knew? He said if you knew who you were talking to.
0: Pastor David, Jesus starts out with 70. He sends them out. The crowd, well, actually, 5,000 he preaches to them and gives them a fish sandwich. The crowd then gets to 70. He anoints the 70 and sends them out to heal the sick. They come back rejoiced because the demons listen to him. Jesus says, don't rejoice over that, but rejoice that your names is written in the Lamb's book of life. That crowd got smaller to 12. Jesus calls these 12 apostles. He gives them power over the same that he gave the 70. Those 12 go out and heal the sick and preach the gospel. Those 12 are reduced to three. Peter, James, and John. They get so sleepy that one of them become Jesus' best friend, John, who lays at his bosom and who is there at the crucifixion. What's, what is the Bible trying to tell you? The closer you get to Calvary, the smaller the crowd becomes. Everybody say, oh, I want to be mentored. I want to do this. I want to to go. No, you don't. Because the closer you get to submission, and the closer you get to growth, and the closer you get to demand, and the closer that God says it's time to change some things, the closer we back up and say, I really don't want it. The closer we get to Calvary, the smaller the crowd becomes. Oh, everybody says, oh, I want this, I want that, I want glory, I want the anointing, I want this. No, you don't. No, you don't.
1: Desire is found in our
0: pursuit. I can say that because the Lord's been dealing with me. I preach this sermon to myself first. I preach it always to myself first. Always to me first. We live in a generation where we get closer to Calvary, the crowd. What's Calvary? Calvary is the place where you submit your will to His will. That's the place of crushing. That's the place where your will is crushed under His will, and that's why there's just a few that goes. Everybody wants a fish sandwich. Everybody wants to come to church and listen to a sermon. Everybody wants to hoop and holler. Everybody wants to be a part of the crowd. But the closer it gets to submission, and the closer it gets to demand, and the closer it gets to where God says you've got to change some things, the. Smaller the crowd becomes.
1: That's why Jesus said,
0: Many will say, Lord, Lord, I didn't know, didn't know you. That's why Jesus said, Broad is the way, straight is the gate leads unto God. Few there be that find it. That's why Jesus said, Don't, don't, don't think I've come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. Because my message divides people. That's why Jesus said, if you don't love me more than you love your mother and your father and your children, you, you, you don't, you're not my disciple. That's why the crowd gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Kind of like my professor in undergrad. I'm taking Greek. He's a 70-year-old man. gets up every Tuesday and Thursday. God on my ever-living nerve.
1: Got up there and said
0: Today, we're going to separate the men from the boys. Mr. Pennington, get up here and parse verse number three. I said, "Sir, I got to go to the bathroom.
1: If you knew, Jesus said, you would ask me for a drink
0: if you really knew it. If we really knew it, we would chase Jesus for the satisfaction of our souls. We would run after Jesus for validation. We would run after him if we really knew it instead of the things of this world. Pastor, why are you preaching so hard? Uh, it's just because I've studied hard this week. <laughs> it's because it's in me. And there's something inside of me that I want Jesus more than I've ever wanted Jesus in my whole life. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And I want you to know that any time I preach like this, I always preach to myself as this is first and foremost for Josh Pennington, first and foremost, I want him more than I want anything else. I want Him to change the things that need to be changed in me. Not you, because I don't know anything about your life. I'm just throwing the seed. Wherever it scatters, it scatters. Some will scatter over here and some over here. But wherever it scatters, it scatters. But for me, I want to go closer to Calvary. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.